Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good afternoon, everyone. It is Monday, December the 12th, 2022. It is currently 3.54 p.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from the Theology Central studio located right here in Abilene, Texas. And it was from this studio at about 12 p.m. today that we did an episode of the Today's Focus podcast series. And our focus today was on spiritual growth. It's fast approaching the end of the year, and so many ministries around the country, around the world, churches all over the place, Christian podcasters, you name it, they'll they'll be talking about how did you do in your spiritual life in 2022? How did you grow in in 2022? And, And what ways do you need to grow in 2023? And what can you do in 2023 to grow spiritually far more so than you did in the previous year? And there will be lots of discussions about it. There will be suggestions and get this and buy this and do this and get this curriculum. And and for 2023, you need to do this and do this. That will facilitate spiritual growth. There's all There will be all kinds of discussions on that subject. So I turned on the microphone to get you to focus on spiritual growth today by asking some questions. And I have those questions written down right here in this notebook. If you did not hear that broadcast, well, I'm going to I'm going to make sure you're all caught up. Are you ready? Here we go. Here are the questions I gave everyone to consider, everyone to focus on today for the today's focus podcast episode. Now, I know I didn't give it that many hours, so you haven't had a lot of time to meditate on this, but I wanted to return to the subject well now because well, I'm still focusing on it. So, Whatever I'm focusing on, that's what I talk about. That, that's just kind of the way it works, all right? So I apologize if I didn't give you enough time to think about it, but hopefully you've spent some time, and now we can, well, we can add to what we talked about earlier. We can add to it right now. But let's start with a reminder, okay? So to, in the Today's Focus podcast episode, I told you to focus on spiritual growth, and I gave you four questions. Number one, what is spiritual growth? What is spiritual growth? Number two, how do we measure it? Number three, what causes spiritual growth to occur? Number four, does the church help or hinder when it comes to spiritual growth? Number one, what is spiritual growth? Number two, how do we measure it? Number three, what causes spiritual growth to occur? And number four, does the church help or hinder when it comes to spiritual growth? And I know number four will be somewhat controversy in the minds of many people, but we've talked about that kind of thing in previous podcast episodes. And most of the listeners emailed me and most of the people on YouTube who made comments all basically said, nope, my spiritual growth was not because of the church. It really was outside of the church is where I grew the most spiritually or learned the most, and which calls into question, what in the world is the church doing? But that's for another another podcast. And this episode, what we're going to focus on is just really trying to, we're going to just continue our discussion about spiritual growth, but we're going to use the audio from the podcast that started all of this. Because at 2 a.m. this morning, if you think about it, 2 a.m., it's now almost 4 p.m. So from 2 a.m. to 4 p.m., this idea of spiritual spiritual growth has been my focus throughout the day. And so I've given it plenty of thought. I still don't have good answers. Some of those in the Discord channel started asking some really good questions and making some very good points and very good observations. We may have to go back and look at some of them 
and a future episode. This may turn into a series. I don't necessarily want it to go into a series because I need to finish up the other series. But this is an important subject just because as we reach the end of the year, so many ministries start talking about it. Spiritual growth. What are your spiritual goals? And, and, and it just raises so many questions that I don't think there are good answers to. But we'll see what we can do. So in this episode... We're going to we're going to review, analyze, and critique a podcast episode that I heard about two about two a.m. this morning. I, le- I, re- I leaned over, grabbed my iPad, went to one of I don't even know which podcast app. Hit refresh, boom! I saw an episode of the Charles Stanley In Touch podcast, and I looked and I saw and I think I just pl- I don't even know how I chose. I just hit play and I heard Charles Stanley talking about testing our spiritual growth. And I'm like, oh, spiritual growth. I immediately hit pause, said, nope, not going to listen to that. Now I've got something to think on. And I started thinking about it. And well, here we are, all of these hours later, still talking about it. See how just 10 minutes, or not, not even 10 minutes, five to 10 seconds of a podcast can give you so much to think about and consider. And hopefully you've benefited from your time thinking about it today. But let's Listen to what he had to say in regards to testing spiritual growth. I can almost 150% guarantee you I'm going to disagree with everything we are about to hear, but I want to hear that perspective. Look, when it really comes to the subject of spiritual growth, I'm just going to be honest. I think I disagree with most of Christianity on this subject. I have a hard time. The way Christians talk about it, I just, I, I, I think there's some major issues with it, but we'll see. Maybe when it's all said and done, I'll be like, well, I agreed with that. I, you know what? I think he's right, and I think I'm wrong. We, we will see. Are you ready? So testing our spiritual growth. This is a two-part uh, message. We're going to just, I don't know if we're going to review both parts. We will at least review part one, and uh, we'll just see. We'll see what your thoughts and reactions are. And, I, and I, I still want you to consider my questions. I still want you to ponder those questions I gave you. What is spiritual growth? How do we measure it? What causes it to occur? And does the church help or hinder? I really, 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 really want you to think about those questions, all right? It almost could turn into a Bible study exercise, but, we, but we, we've, got, we've got the other Bible study exercise going on on the subject of fear, 1 John chapter 3, 1 John chapter 4. Yes, we always have so much going on here, but are you ready? All right, here we go. This should be interesting. Now, remember, I never know what's getting ready to happen because I don't listen to what we're going to review first. That makes it more fun, makes it more organic, makes it more real. I appreciate, I like that approach. Some of you do, some of you don't, but it's just, well, it's just like we're sitting down to listen to this together. And uh, if you're listening live via the Spreaker app, feel free to add your comments in the chat. If you're not listening live, feel free to email them to me, newsif at yahoo.com. If you're in the Discord channel, feel free to post your thoughts there as well. Here we go. Testing your spiritual growth. Already, I'm just, just the idea of the testing concept, just, oh boy. All right, here we go. This aired, well, I heard it at 2 a.m. I don't know when it actually dropped, but I heard it at 2 a.m. Here we go. In the Christian life, we are either growing in our relationship to Christ or we are moving in reverse. There is no way in the Christian life to reach some level whereby there's where we are and that's where we stay. We don't go on and we don't reverse. Yes, you do. You're either growing in the Christ-likeness or you're moving in the other direction. Now stop right there. 
That's their opening. That's kind of called their opening tease where you grab a part of the sermon you're going to air in your podcast. You play about a 30 second clip of it and you play something that's going to get everyone talking. And then that teases them to listen to the rest of it. So it's smart production. I understand what they're doing. It's a great idea. So, you know, I, I probably should do better at that, right? I probably should do better at that, but I don't, I, I, I fall short, but lots of podcasters use that technique, right? You grab something, you grab something that's controversial. You grab something that's going to get people's attention. That may sound shocking. And then you play it at the beginning and everybody's like, whoa, wh- I wonder what he's going to say about that. And then you come in with your intro and then you, you, it, it, it's a great idea. I, I, I just don't do that. So, but I, so we don't know exactly what he's going to say about it, but I'm going to put forth He's saying it obviously in a dogmatic way. I don't think he's going to change his opinion in the message, but I'm going to put forth the question for you and for me. This is important. If you were to use the scriptures, just the scriptures alone, do you think you could prove, scripturally speaking, you are either growing in your spiritual life or you're going in reverse? There is no standing still. You're either growing or you're going in reverse. Could you prove that spiritually or is this just something a preacher said that is dogmatic? Now, this idea has been around Christianity for a very long time. I heard this probably my as soon as I became a Christian is you're either going to be growing or you're going in reverse. You're either moving forward or you're backsliding. So every day you have to ask yourself, did I grow spiritually? Because if I didn't, I took three steps back. So what happens if you take three steps back? The next day, do you need to take four steps forward? Like now, now you get into this weird thing of trying to, I'm moving forward. No, I'm going backwards. Okay. How do I know I'm going backwards? How do I know I'm going forward? If I read my Bible for an hour, is that moving forward? But if I didn't read my Bible, is that going back to step? Like, how do you measure it? Now it preaches good. This is so important. So many times what preaches good, what sounds good, what will get the amens, what will get the applause, what will get everyone going, oh, wow, that was really good. Sometimes that is simply sermon talk. That's not scripture. Preachers can say things that sound so spiritual, so godly. They can say it in an authoritative way. They can say it in a catchy way. They can say it in an emotional way. They can say it in a captivating way. And it gets everyone's attention. They're like, oh, yes. And they write that down in their notebooks and they post it on social media. The question is, is it a biblical concept? Does the Bible say you're either moving forward or you're going backwards? What what would be the best scriptures you would come up with to prove that concept? I would like to know. Email them to me, newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com. All right. I know we didn't get far. I'm going to back that up just so that we can hear the whole thing, and then we'll just let this play forward, and we'll, I don't know what's getting ready to happen, but we're going to find out. In the Christian life, we are either growing in our relationship to Christ or we are moving in reverse. There is no way in the Christian life to reach some level whereby there's where we are and that's where we stay. We don't go on and we don't reverse. Yes, you do. You're either growing in the Christ likeness or you're moving in the other direction. You cannot stay in one spot. Now you say, well, sometimes I feel rather stagnant. Well, you may feel stagnant and that you're not growing, but that doesn't mean that you're just steadily staying where you are. New believers usually burn brightly in their devotion to the Lord. 
But too often, that fervent enthusiasm fades as time goes by. If you're fading spiritually, you can correct that drift as you listen to In Touch, the teaching ministry of Dr. Charles Stanley. Today's program challenges our commitment to Jesus and helps us test our spiritual growth. All right, so it's this, this is a kind of preaching that is always effective. Now, listen to what I'm about to say. And getting some kind of a response, right? If you're preaching to a bunch of Christians and you're like, hey, you remember how much passion and how much zeal and how much fire you had when you first became a Christian? Have you lost that? Have you lost that passion and zeal? Have you become kind of stagnant? Do you feel like you've fallen into some kind of a spiritual rut? Not, I, I'm saying if any, if the, most people sitting there, if they've been saved for any length of time, there's a high probability that well over 50% of your audience is going to be like, he's speaking directly to me. All right. So this is a go-to kind of sermon to get a, to be effectual and getting a response and getting people to go, oh, this is me. But then, but, but this becomes very subjective in how you measure it. So are you measuring it by emotion? Are you measuring it by feeling? And then so, well now, so supposedly now you're regressed in your Christian life. Well, how do you get it back? How do you test it? And this really becomes a very, it can become a very discouraging thing because because then people are like, I got to get a feeling back. I got to get an emotion back or I have to do things. And it becomes a very works-based mentality a very, if you listen to our other series on law and gospel, a very law-based way of living out the Christian life. Now, what, let's see. I guess the focus on this is going to be the testing. So I guess we're going to get a test to determine if we're moving forward or if we're going backwards. Because remember, we can't be stagnant. It's either moving backwards or moving forward. And one way or the other, you are moving. And I, I, I think before he can give us a test, He's got to give her a give. I get, well, I guess the test is how we measure it, right? I, I don't know. I've got, I've got many questions here, but let's see where he's going to go with this. Well, hopefully we get a definition of what spiritual growth is. That would be helpful. All right, here we go. Salvation is the work of God whereby he provides for the forgiveness of our sins and brings us into a right relationship with him. And that salvation experience is the result of the work of Jesus Christ on the cross and our acceptance of that work by personal faith in Him. And God's goal for us once we have received Jesus Christ as our personal Savior, that we would begin to grow in that relationship with Him. Now, there are many... Okay, now, we get saved. Now, you, you can hear a little bit of the decisionism thrown in here. He, obviously, he comes from a very you know, Arminian, semi-Pelagian, and that's not a false accusation. I've reviewed uh, sermons by Charles Stanley showing his semi-Pelagianism, almost full-blown Pelagianism in some ways. I know that's probably not completely fair, but let's, there's no question there's semi-Pelagianism. Just some of the comments have gone fast approaching full Pelagianism, clearly an Arminian perspective, a decisionism understanding of salvation. Here, not to get into a debate with that in any way, shape, or form, but after you're saved, the goal is, after you're saved, the goal is to the goal is to grow, to grow in your relationship with him. You're saved. Now, what should your goal be? To grow in your relationship. To grow in your relationship. Now that sounds good. That preach is good, but exactly what does that mean? What how do we understand that? How do we define that? People who are satisfied, it appears, just to be saved. 
But his goal is that you and I would be conformed to his likeness, that is, that we would go on growing in that spiritual relationship that we have with Jesus Christ. Now, God the Father is greatly grieved when his children are born into the kingdom. That is, when a sinner is born into the kingdom of God and then just sort of stagnates. Now, one of the primary reasons for that stagnation... Now, this is interesting. The intro was there is no stagnation. You're either going backwards or going forward. Now he's telling me that God is greatly grieved when we stagnate. So, so we, we asked the question, is there a Bible verse that shows you're either growing or you're going backwards? So then this would be another question, another question to ask, right? So is there a Bible verse that says if you're not growing, you're going backwards, you're either growing or you're going backwards? Is there a Bible verse? What would you use to support this concept or even try to prove this concept? And then the second question is, is there any scripture that says you can spiritually stagnate? Now, he already said that there isn't. You can't. But now he's putting forth like it's a possibility that God gets very upset when we stagnate spiritually. What does it mean to stagnate spiritually? Is there a verse that talks about spiritual stagnation? where you're just stuck. It's just, I don't, I don't know. Like, like, so is that a possibility or is it not a possibility? We'll see. Sometimes it is ignorance. Most of the time it is sin. And so what I want to talk about in this message. (laughs) Oh boy. Okay. So he just gave us uh, an insinuation that sometimes it can be ignorance that causes us to stagnate, right? But most of the time, it is sin. Sin is what causes you to spiritually stagnate. I'm assuming sin is what causes you to move backwards. Now, immediately, we have to raise our hand. Oh, man. Yes, it's listening to the, to the preaching in Christianity sometimes. It's so just, I, I don't even know. I don't understand their thinking, so it's hard to process. Like, okay, let me, let's make this very clear. Once again, we sin every day, all day, 24 hours a day, seven days a week in some way, shape, or form. It's weird. Christians talk about sin as if it's only like, like you may sin or you may not sin. Like, like there's, like, it's really weird the way we describe it. We describe sin literally like, hey, you know, if you're not growing spiritually, it's because there's sin in your life. And all you have to do is get rid of that sin and then you'll grow. Well, wait a minute. So that seems to mean that then there will be no more sin in my life. Well, no, there'll be sin in your So am I sinning all the time or am I not sinning all the time? And if I'm sinning all the time, then whatever problems you say are going to show up in my Christian life because I'm sinning are always going to be present because I'm always sinning. So am I always sinning or am I not always sinning? Is sin just reduced to certain actions? And if I avoid that action, then I'm no longer sinning. That's literally the way Christians think about sin, which is such a weird way of thinking, considering Jesus did so much to show us that we sin in thought, we sin in word, we sin in deed, we sin in desire, we sin in our motivation, we sin internally and externally. I've been saying this a lot at the end of 2022. I'm going to continue to say it. I'll give you three scriptures. Love the Lord thy God with all your heart, mind, body, and soul. You never pull that off, meaning you are perpetually in sin. Love your neighbor as yourself. I'm sorry, you never truly pull that off. You're perpetually in sin. Be ye holy as God is holy. I'm sorry, you never pull that off. You're perpetually in sin. So if we're perpetually in sin and my spiritual growth 
it's determined by how much sin is in my life. Well, then I'm always sinning. So therefore I can never be growing. <laughs> like, it's so weird. Like he's just saying these concepts. First, he says, you cannot stagnate. You see, they're moving forward and moving backwards. Then he immediately says, God is greatly grieved when you stagnate. Why do you stagnate? Well, one of the reasons, it could be ignorance. In other words, you just don't know enough. And secondly, it's, or most likely, it's because of sin. Okay, well, then sin is always in my life. So then I'm always going to be stagnated. No, 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 no. He's all, it's going to be certain sins. And then it always comes down to certain sins. Which sins are the ones that make you stagnate? Which are, which are the sins of which make you go back? Well, we always do. We, you know what we're going to reduce it to. It's always going to be a sexual sin. Boom. That, that destroys you. It'll be, it'll be something like, I don't know, abortion, homosexuality. It, it, it'll be, but, but no, all the other millions of so-called venial sins, we're good to go, I guess. I, I don't know. It's so weird how Christians talk about sin. ...is testing our spiritual growth. And that is the title of this message, and the passage I want us to turn to is Ephesians chapter 4. Very clearly, this passage states, we are to be growing in our relationship to Him and what God has done to make that growth possible. So if you'll turn to Ephesians chapter 4, and let's begin reading in the 11th verse. He says in verse 11, and He gave some, that is, He gave to the church, to His body, some as apostles and some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers. That is, the pastor is to be a pastor teacher. He is to instruct the people of God. That is, he gave these gifted men to the church in order that, or for the purpose of equipping the saints for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, that is, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ, that is, the sum of the qualities uh, that uh, make up Christ, make Christ what He is, that's where He's headed with us in maturing us. As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. He says, but speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects unto him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by that which every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part causes the growth of the body, the building up of itself in love. Now, that's a big mouthful uh, Paul wrote in this Ephesian letter in this particular paragraph. What he is saying here, in essence, is that the spiritual growth of the believer is the primary work of the gifted men of God, which he's given to the church. Okay, stop right here. This is a powerful passage of Scripture. I don't know if this passage of Scripture specifically says if you're not growing, you're going backwards. I don't think it says that. I don't know if this one, uh, if this passage, passage indicates in any way, shape, or form you can become spiritually stagnant and you're stagnant because of sin. I don't know if any of those claims he's made so far has anything to do with this passage of Scripture, but this passage of Scripture does have very much to do with the question, one of the questions I gave you at the beginning of this episode, which is... Does the church help or hinder spiritual growth? Where, where, biblically speaking, 
it seems clear. Now, now I think I think we have to ask ourselves in, in, in a practical way, is the church helping or hindering? Whenever I ask this question again, time and time again, I get emails or comments where people are like, no, all of my spiritual growth happened outside of the church. Books, commentaries, systematic theology, podcasts, the sermons online, like it's a million things, but it's not necessarily their local church, which is just mind-boggling to me. But the scriptures here in Ephesians 4, whatever other people may say, the scriptures in Ephesians 4 seems to be absolutely dogmatic, that it's God gave men, equipped men to the church for the purpose of equipping the saints, building up the saints, so there'll be no more children tossed to and fro, that they will grow, that the growth, that the church's primary mission is the equipping and growing of spiritual believers. Now, he still hasn't defined exactly what that growth is, and it hasn't been clearly defined. I, I guess you could say the growth or the equipping in Ephesians 4 is primary, primarily related to no longer being tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine. Right? I mean, if we if we look at the whole passage, just look carefully, I think it kind of gives us some definitions here, right? Uh, he uh, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, to build up the body of Christ until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of God's Son, growing into maturity with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. Then we'll be no longer tossed to and fro by every wind of teaching and doctrine. You will not be basically uh, you won't be deceived. So it seems. Now, we could break this part apart a little bit more, but I'll just throw some basic concepts out there. That spiritual growth means that we are no longer tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine. In other words, we become somewhat grounded in doctrinal truth so that we're not tossed to and fro with every time we hear a different doctrine. We don't know what to do and we fall apart. So there is some being grounded in doctrine. I, I, think, that, I think that's a key part, that we're not deceived that we're not deceived, so we're grounded and we're and we are protected from deception. That would be possibly some of the key elements here of spiritual growth. There's more in this passage, and I want you to look at it, and we'll see if he breaks it down anymore. I'm assuming he's going to take all of his test for spiritual growth from this section, so I won't say any more, but this is a very important passage. But here becomes really the issue then. If this is what the church is supposed to be doing, why is it so many Christians don't feel like this is occurring within the church? Now, the church has tried to come up with every ministry, every gimmick, every idea under the sun to try to accomplish this. Small groups was supposed to fix this, right? Small groups. Well, you know, uh, it's uh, have a Sunday morning, Sunday night. Uh, su Sunday morning, Sunday school, Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday service. Make sure you have all of those services. That will accomplish it. I mean, there's been discipleship programs. There's been uh, curriculum, books, study guides, devotionals. The, 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 minute, the church at large has been producing materials and coming up with, with ideas and, and ministries and programs to try to accommodate this. But time and time again, every study that we have, Christians who go to church on a regular basis are still biblically illiterate. They're still theologically illiterate. So what is the church not doing? And then you have to ask yourself, how much is it the fault of the church and how much is it the fault of the individual? This passage seems to make it very clear, hey, 
You may be talking about all of this, but when it comes to Ephesians 4, the church has a responsibility, and I don't know why the church has failed at it so poorly. There's been times in my Christian life where I will just throw everything at the churches at the door at the foot at the doorstep of the church and blame the church. But there's a part of me that somehow puts the blame on those sitting in the pew because because I mean I think you have some responsibility here. You have some responsibility here. But all right, we'll see what Charles Stanley is going to do with this. That is the spiritual growth that is growing in our relationship to Christ is the primary work and primary purpose of the work of the gifted men God has given to the church. He says, now, uh, in establishing the church, God gave to the church gifted men. That is, he gave some as apostles in those days in which Paul was writing in before. Uh, He gave some as prophets, some as evangelists, and some as pastor teachers. That is, it is the primary responsibility of the pastors to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. So when he talks about growing up the body, that is spiritually enriching us and growing us into Christ's likeness, he's talking about the whole body of his church. That can only happen as I grow, as you grow, as he grows, as she grows, as we grow individually. That's the way the body grows. And what he's saying in this passage is that God has... If you'll notice in uh, verse 11, given these gifted men in order that the body may be equipped for service and grow. So what makes it possible for us to be equipped for service and to grow? First of all, primary above everything else is that that person has a genuine, ongoing, personal, growing relationship with Jesus Christ, which is resulting in their spiritual maturity. And that is to happen to every single believer, no matter who the person is. And so, therefore, uh, being ready to serve the Lord does not mean going to school. It means growing in our relationship to Jesus Christ and being equipped. The primary work of the pastors, listen, he says, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ. That is, it is the primary responsibility of the pastors of the church. And I want to say this to many of you who have one pastor or, as in our fellowship, many pastors. You may want your pastor to run to the hospital every time you get sick. You may want him to stroke you and come by and visit you and be your best friend and be this and be that and be the other. And I want to tell you, if your pastor obeys the Word of God and carries out the work that God has given him to do and leads you into a growing relationship to Jesus Christ by expounding the Word of God, he can't do many things other than instruct you in the ways of God because he's got to be in the Word, growing himself, understanding the Scriptures, expounding the Word, preparing the message in order to equip you for the service of God and to grow you up. Oh, boy. Oh, you talk talk about ticking off a lot of Christians. Okay. Here we go. Now, we, we talked it. Now, in a roundabout way, this is turning more into my question about does the church help or does the church hinder? The primary purpose of the church is to equip Christians, is to equip saints so that they may grow. They may no longer be children tossed to and fro so that they may not be deceived. All right. If that's the purpose of the church, then why, when, when anytime I ask this question, almost everyone who emails or leaves a comment, again, as I've already stated, will say, no, 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 all of my growth happened outside of the church, 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 outside of the church. So I'm like, what in the world is the church doing? What is the church doing? But, 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 
I think this is important, all right? And this is maybe somewhat controversial, but I, but I, as I've already indicated, I think some of the blame lays with the person sitting in the pew. I really do. Uh, you, you may get very offended by this, but, but I just, I'm going to be dogmatic about it. People walk into a church on a Sunday morning, right? Let's just say you have a Sunday school and a Sunday morning service. That's at best two hours. That's at best two hours. And depending on all the things you have, that may not even be anywhere close to two hours of teaching, right? That may not even be close. That may be an hour and 40 minutes, maybe an hour and 30. Who knows? It, it may, it, it's not going to be two hours of teaching. So, and that they're here, they're there, and then they're gone. Some don't, well, some will not even come back Sunday night. Many, most will not be back on Wednesday night. All right. So now you can sit there and blame the church, blame the church, blame the church, but how much can the church do for you two hours a week? That's if you even bother to show up for both Sunday school and the Sunday morning sermon. Exactly what can the church do for you in a basically two hours of teaching in an entire week? What can they do for you? What can they do for you? And I know this, that as a pastor, you can sit there and say, okay, guys, here's what we're going to do. We're going to spend the next three months doing, I'll, I'll just reach over. I got a devotional right here. We're, we're going to spend the next three months. I'm dropping books. We're going to spend the next three months right here. And this devotional, I'm going to give everyone a copy of this devotional. You're going to take a notebook. You're going to take a pencil each day. You're going to read the scripture. You're going to read the devotional. And I just want you to write one, just summarize one thing that you got from that devotional. That's all I want you to do. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. we're going to do this for three months. And then every Sunday morning for Sunday school, I'm going to give a test over what we did in the devotional. What do you think? What do you think that, what do you think the success rate of that will be? Well, I can't, I can't speak for everyone else, but in my own experiments with trying these types of things, it usually ends in an abject failure, a disaster. No one will participate. No one will do it. I've watched it in, in my churches in Nebraska. Hey, we're going to have a Sunday school class in the Sunday school class. We're going to be, we're going to be using this book. So everyone each week, read the chapter. And then when we show up into Sunday school, we're going to be prepared to discuss. No, you could tell no one had read the book. No one was prepared. No one. And so it was a waste of time. It was a, and if you read the book, you want to get into a meaningful conversation. And then you got people arguing with you who didn't even bother to read the chapter. Or you can be like, you can be a pastor and say, hey, guys, hey, guys, we're getting ready to deal with a very, very serious doctrinal issue here. We're going to be dealing. So I need you to go look up all of these. I need you to be participating and doing this in the study. People won't participate. But guess what? They'll argue with you. They'll disagree with you. They just won't do the study. Well, guess what? Then what can you do? They're only there for two hours. How can you build them up? How can you equip them if they're only there two hours a week? And then they won't participate in the things you give them. They won't even do what you ask them to do. You can be like, we're going to be expounding this book, whichever, Romans, 1 Corinthians, whatever, whatever book. And you can say, okay, guys, here's what I want you to do. Every week, whatever chapter we're on, I want you to read that chapter over and 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 over again. So by the time we show up on Sunday and we get ready to dig into that chapter, everyone here is, is equipped. They know the chapter. And, and you're like, and you've been in the book for, say, 
six weeks, seven weeks, whatever the case may be. And then, and then you're on, say, still in chapter one or in chapter two. So in other words, people have been basically reading the same chapter for multiple, multiple weeks. And then you'll ask some basic question about the chapter. And then everyone in the church just stands there looking at you or sits there looking at you like they have no idea what they're talking about, you know, or what you're talking about. You know why they do that? Because they didn't even bother to read it. They didn't bother to do anything. They don't participate. They won't do anything. Well, then, then when they're asked, where, where does your spiritual growth occur? Well, it didn't happen inside the church because you would not do anything the church asked you to do. You wouldn't participate. You wouldn't do anything. So in some cases, I got to put the blame on the people sitting in the pew. The church's primary goal is to equip saints. I completely agree. But the saints have to do something. Two hours a week, I can't equip anyone. I can't accomplish anything. I mean, what can you get in two hours in a week? What? And and you know this. You, you, you pour your heart into those messages on a Sunday. By the next Sunday, no one even remembers what you covered. I mean, this is a real issue. If spiritual growth is tied to the church. The church is limited in what they can do. The people, in many cases, the people won't even show up to all the services. Number one, number two, even when, even when the services are available online, they won't listen. Look, and for me, what oh, I almost lose my mind is if if I'm trying to review and someone says, "Well, I didn't hear that" or "I wasn't there." I'm like, "Well, the messages are online every." Like there's, you can be caught up. You can't like, well, I didn't hear that. What do you mean you didn't hear it? It was posted one hour after I preached it and it's now been two weeks. I mean, come on. So, but that's, that's the way it works. That's the way it works. So, so can you blame the church? I mean, what literally, can, well, what, what did, was the church need to do? So that's the one problem. People won't participate in the actual meaningful stuff, but guess what they always want? They always want something else. They always want something else. And guess what? It's not. It's not meaningful doctrinal theological study. No, 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 no. We need to spend more time together. We need to get together at someone's house and have a barbecue. We need to sit around a, a campfire and holding hands singing Kumbaya. I'm not trying to be sarcastic, but it always turns in, we need this. I'm like, you're theologically illiterate, but we need some time to, and so then guess what they want the pastor doing? They want the pastor planning the activities, showing up at the activities. They want the, so what they want the pastor to do is be a social club director. And they'll be like, no, 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 no. We, we, we'll make it spiritual. I'm like, we'll make it spiritual. So what do you want? So you want another, and so then my, so my question will always be, well, if we're going to get together and study the Bible, why don't we just show up at church? Well, we don't talk to each other. So you don't really want a Bible study. You want to talk to each other. So, so, and so immediate, so a lot of the times the reason the church can't equip anyone is the church, people won't participate. And the people literally want something other than what they claim they actually want. They claim they want to be equipped. They claim they want biblical knowledge. They claim that. And then they go to churches where they don't get it and then complain about it. And then in most cases, they're part of the problem because they don't really want what they said that they want. Now, this is not really giving us into how to test it. He's really kind of getting us into, well, the church is responsible, but he's He's saying that, well, it, it, it sometimes it doesn't happen. Well, now you can put the blame on. Now, I think it's interesting. He put the blame a little bit on the people. 
because the people want the pastor basically to be there to, as he said, to stroke them. He wants to, you, the, the, they, the, he, uh, as he said, the people want the pastor there basically as their comforter, as their friend, as their companion, as their, I, I, their best buddy. But, but for that to happen, I've always said, if the church has to choose what to cancel for any activity, potluck, fellowship, it's always get rid of the preaching. 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 So if the church is the primary place for spiritual growth and you got people who won't participate or the people who really want something else, what is the church supposed to do? And trust me, if you blow up the, the sermon template, which I can't stand the way sermons are done. I, I've, I've, I've talked about it throughout the year. I'm not going to repeat it today. I'm telling you, most people are like, nope, nope, nope. I want it to feel more like church. I want it to feel, okay, okay, okay. I know what you want. I know what you want. You want an experience. You want to feel something. You want a structure. You don't really are not, you're not really concerned with being equipped. That's what you want. You want an experience so you can get your little experience. It, it checks all the boxes in your, in your fields just so you can feel the right thing. And then you can go home and you could care less about being actually equipped. And I know when I say that people get offended, but they're, 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 I I think the issue of spiritual growth, I, I, you, you can put the blame at the church. I'm going to, I, I'm more inclined to put the blame on, on the people, at least put it this way. They share a big part of it. They share a big part of it because I'm, I've getting, I've gotten also so tired of hearing like, you know, oh, you know, I, I, I can't find a good church. And then because I've watched people walk into my church and go, oh, this is what I've been looking for. You're teaching and you're digging in and then give it a little bit of time. And guess what? They, They want the other, they want the other and they leave to go get the other. And I'm like, oh, I thought you wanted a place that focused on scripture. No, 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 no. They want the other. They want the other. They want the other. They want the other. I don't know. Sometimes I don't know what people actually want. Sometimes people sitting in the pew, I don't know if they know what they want. It's just really, it, they, they, they won't sometimes say what they really want because they know what they, what they really want sounds very unspiritual, right? So they'll say, but they always will try to disguise their wants in the most spiritual terms, but the spiritual terms are simply an illusion. There is simply a mirage to hide their real feelings. Well, then, then the church cannot be the place that's equipping saints. Now, I think the church in some cases is guilty and I, th- and I do believe the church is a, a problem because the church has, in many cases, says, well, you know what? Let's please the people. Let's give the people what they want. And I understand why churches do that, because you can just el- eliminate all the drama and, and possibly everyone walking out of your front door. So I end- it's just a, it's great to re- read Ephesians 4 and everybody's like, amen, I want to be equipped. But hey, 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 you got to do it this way. You got to do it my way. You got to give me what I want. When I want, I'll show up whenever I want, and I'm not participating in anything I don't want to do. But you better equip me. You better help me grow. <laughs> okay, all right. Well, I'll get, I'll get right on that. I'll get right on that. All right, let's continue. And I think there are many pastors in smaller churches uh, who are oftentimes criticized because they're expected to be um, 
man about town, do everything for everybody. And I'm here to tell you, there isn't a single verse in the Scripture that implies that. Now, I say that not because I'm complaining because I don't have any complaints, but I'm saying that on behalf of many of you who are, who are members of small churches or even large churches who expect your pastor to do everything, and I want to tell you, that isn't even a God-given command. He is to be a shepherd and a teacher. He says pastors and teachers, but he can't do everything. And the most important thing he can do for you is to instruct you in the ways of God, grow you up, and equip you spiritually to be a living, vibrant servant of the living God. And if he does that, then he's done his job very well. Now, so he says that God gives these gifted men in order that the body of the believers may be equipped. Now, notice what he says. He says, equipping of the saints for the work of service. That means the primary responsibility of the pastors is to instruct, to teach, to motivate, to bring about that kind of knowledge and understanding of the Word of God that you will be motivated to go out and carry out work that a small group of staff members in a church could never do. Well, what he's saying in this passage is that God has given these gifted men, and the primary objective is spiritual growth. Now, let me define what I mean by spiritual growth. Spiritual growth is not indicated simply because you and I become busier serving God. Okay, now he's going to give us a definition of spiritual growth. And this is perfect, perfect, because this is one of the questions I asked, right? What is spiritual growth? In fact, it's the very first question I asked. He, so he immediately says spiritual growth has nothing to do with how busy we are. I'm going to back this up a little bit. So we don't, we don't, deter, we don't measure our spiritual growth by busyness. Busyness does not seem to be to equate spiritual growth. Let's see if he says this again. Now, let me define what I mean by spiritual growth. Spiritual growth is not indicated simply because you and I become busier serving God. Spiritual growth does not, uh, is not indicated simply because I may sharpen my skills as a servant of God in some areas. Spiritual growth refers to a growing relationship. That is a personal growing relationship. All right, so it's not... It's not busyness, it's not knowledge, but it's a growing personal relationship. It's a growing personal relationship. Now, this is his definition. You know what I'm going to ask you to do, right? What scripture would indicate this? Remember, I've already given you questions in this episode, right? What scripture would say you're either growing or going back? What scripture would say that you can be stagnant in your Christian life, and what scripture would say sin is the thing that causes you to become stagnant or to go backwards in your in your spiritual growth or your spiritual life? He's not provided any scripture for those things. He's gone to Ephesians 4, and, and, and now he seems to indicate that what growth is, is growth in a relationship. So spiritual growth is growth in a relationship. I... What scripture would you use to prove that growth is a growth in a relationship? And do we, do we judge growth in our spiritual life based off, I don't know how we grow in a, in, a, in a human relationship? Like, how is he going to quantify this, qualify this? How? With the person of Jesus Christ. Because that is the most important thing in a person's life. Foremost above everything else is a personal relationship with Christ, which should be a growing relationship. And according to the Scriptures, he says uh, that is uh, what God has uh, ordained that should happen. And because it is his will. For example, he says in, in um, 
Romans chapter 8, verse 29, that God predestined, that is, he predetermined before you and I were ever born, that every single person who is saved would be conformed to the likeness of Christ. That means shaped into his likeness. Now, I got to jump in here. We covered this in our discussion on fear when we looked at Romans 8. They make this very clear. We are predestined to be conformed, meaning before the foundations of the world, God elected, or God foreknew, he elected, he predestinated us to be conformed, meaning God chose me, right? He would save me and he will ultimately glorify me because my, my being conformed to the image of Christ will only occur in glorification, meaning before the foundations of the world, God chose, God elected, God predestined those whom he would save and those he saves, he will glorify. He will conform them to the image of his son, In other words, that the whole work is a work of God. Now, a lot of people will talk about that being conformed to his image here in this life. Now, if we we go to Romans 8, and we talked about this in great detail. Again, if you just, you have to listen to all of the episodes because all of our episodes are always tied together. But we all know things that we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. For those he foreknew, he predestined he to be conformed to the image of his son, that we would be the firstborn among many brethren. So he, that we, it's, look, it's predetermined before the foundations of the world that I'm going to be conformed. And look, he predestined, he called, he called, he justified, and those he justified, he glorified. In other words, it's a definitive work of God. God will take care of it. So the way some people say, well, see, God predestinated you to be conformed to the image. Now you better do A, B, C, D, and E to be conformed to the image. You got to do this. You got to go to church. You got to read your Bible. You got to do this. This seems to me to be focused on God will use everything to be conforming me. Yes, in some way, shape, or form. And I'm not saying that there isn't a conforming process happening right now. But ultimately, this is the guaranteed being conformed to his image. And that guarantee being conformed to his image is glorification, where I will be made like unto him. I will no longer have a sinful nature. But it's almost like, hey, God predetermined that you would be glorified or that you would be conformed to his image. Now you must do A, B, C, D, E, F, G. And if you don't, you're going to fail in God's will. No, God's will is going to be accomplished because I will be conformed to his image. That is into his character, not his looks, but his character, his makeup. And so how does that happen? He didn't say instantaneously and miraculously it would happen. He said that we would be conformed to his likeness. To be conformed means to be shaped into something. That is, And you're right. You're, right. Well, you're, you're kind of right, but you're kind of wrong here. Um, it is instantaneous in glorification. In glorification, boom, I am conformed to the image of his son. Now, whatever you say is happening in the meantime, between, say, my justification and my glorification, whatever you're going to add into that middle period, right, sometimes referred to as sanctification, if you're saying I'm being conformed to his image in that area, well, that may not be instantaneous, but I don't know how we ever, how do you measure that? You're being conformed in this way, but you still got all this other sin in your life. Once again, it becomes very subjective.
is a process. It is an ongoing process. It is a continuing process. When you and I received the Lord Jesus Christ as our personal Savior, that was a one-time event in our life and will never have to be repeated, saved only one time by the grace of God through faith in His atoning work at Calvary. But growing in the Christian life is a continuing, ongoing thing that God desires for us. He says in 1 Peter, for example, chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, he says, as newborn babes, now, please, what he's doing here, he, he went to Romans 8, and he didn't, really, he didn't really deal with what that passage is talking about. That passage is trying to say, look, everyone, God, from the beginning, before the foundations of the world, started all of this. He, he foreknew, he predestined, he calls, he justifies, he will glorify. And you're predestined to be conformed to his image. That predestined will to be conformed to his image, that occurs in glorification. Whatever you say is happening now, it's, it's as imperfect as imperfect can be. We're never, no, we're nowhere even close to conform to his image in the here and now. That, that, the Romans 8 passage is speaking of the certainty of that will to be conformed to the image. And that is connected to glorification. He, he places it into, oh, it's now, and it's uncertain. We, we don't know if we'll be glorified because we've got to do this and we have to do that. Then he, all of a sudden he leaves that immediately, goes to First Peter, and, like, and now he's going to quote, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. So he's placing growth with being conformed to the image. I'm thinking the conform to the image is more likened to glorification, which happens instantaneous, and it's determined by God's eternal election and God's eternal sovereign will. It will happen. I can't change it. I can't stop it. I will be conformed to the image of his son in the process of glorification. But now he's in 1 Peter 2. All right, let's see what he has to say here desire the sincere milk of the word. He says when a person becomes a Christian, he says they're to desire the sincere milk of the word. That is those things in scripture that they can understand. The milk of the word. When a baby is born, you don't feed him steak and spinach, but you feed him rather milk. And so the mother's on a schedule and the baby's on a schedule to be sure that child is well fed and fed properly. What he's saying in this passage in 1 Peter is that believers ought to feast upon, meditate upon, absorb, work into their very being those things of Scripture that will grow them up. Where do we start? Well, we start with those things we understand when we are first saved. And our understanding of Scripture is very meager when we are first saved. That's why he says the milk of the Word, because after a while... It'll be the vegetables of the Word. And after a while, uh, the, the real strong meat of the Word. And the more you and I grow in our relationship to Christ, the deeper our understanding and the clearer our understanding of Scripture. And so, he's simply saying that God has given the church gifted men to help make this happen in people's lives. He says, for example, and, and again, this would be, I, we're right back to kind of where we started, right? Does the church do this or not? The ch I think the church is so limited in what it can pull off. It can try to have all the programs, all the ministries, all the ideas, but it really comes down to an individual saying, okay, I'm a newborn babe. Here's God's word. I'm going to feed upon it because you can't feed upon it two hours a week. Can't feed upon it three hours a week. You got to feed upon it daily, right? So, all right, let, let's continue. 
In uh, 2 Peter chapter 3, that last verse, he says, go on growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. That is, at no point ought we become stagnant. Now, listen carefully. The Christian life isn't like some uh, pond out there that gets stagnant. In the Christian life, we are either growing in our relationship to Christ or we are moving in reverse. There is no way in the Christian life to reach some level whereby there's where we are and that's where we stay. We don't go on and we don't reverse. Yes, you do. You're either growing into Christ-likeness or you're moving in the other direction. You cannot stay in one spot. Now, you say, well, sometimes I feel rather stagnant. Well, you may feel stagnant and that you're not growing, but that doesn't mean that you're just steadily staying where you are. That's just not the way the Spirit works. So, what I want us to see here is that in the mind of God, your spiritual growth in mind is so important, he says, I'm going to gift men. I'm going to set apart men in order to teach and to instruct and to lead people and to show them how to grow in their relationship to Christ. Now, then he says in this particular passage, if you'll notice, he says, not only has God given those gifted men for that purpose, but then he tells us why. He tells us there's a secondary purpose uh, for growing us up. You and I know that the primary purpose is to bring glory to God and by our life. But notice he says here also that the spiritual growth of the believers is also for the believer's protection. Look at this. Verse 14, as a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming, is what he's saying. He says, as a result of, being, of, of growing up and being equipped, what will happen is this. We will develop such a discerning spirit that we can discern truth from error. He says, in order that you'll not be blown away by every wind of doctrine that comes your way, and listen, the trickery and the scheming of men. When you and I deal with people who do not believe the Word of God, who do not want to adhere to the Scriptures, and you get into conversations with them, unless you're strong in the ways of faith, they will trick you and deceive you. Because th their goal is to get you to believe what they believe, which is not the truth. And this is what he's saying in this passage. God has given gifted men to his body in order to raise up people who are growing in their relationship to Christ and are able to stand the onslaught and the attack and the deceitful, trickery, sly ways of those who would get us off base into some other kind of ideas. And I think it's interesting. Not long ago, I was speaking at a particular convention, and uh, uh, afterwards we had a... Um, a luncheon, and these councils were saying to me, you know, uh, there are some groups, uh, when these people walk into a counseling session, we know exactly where they come from. We know exactly what area of the body of Christ they come from because they are so emotionally caught up in so many things, but their biblical foundation is so meager. And I was watching the other morning while I was exercising and uh, turned, happened to turn to this particular program, and I thought, I'll listen to a little bit of this, and here's what they were offering. Well, if you'll just do so-and-so, God will answer your prayers. You will not be sick. Uh, you will learn. You will be prosperous. And on and on and on and on and on it went of what God was going to do. And let me tell you something. The kind of theology that you hear that promises you, if you believe enough and do enough, you will not be sick. You'll never be poor. You'll never be in need. Uh, God will always make you prosperous. Everything you want, all you've got to do is just send me some seed money faith, and I'll just turn it into something good. I'm here to tell you, mark it off. And I'll tell you why you mark it off. 
because Jesus talked about the cross, sacrifice, dying to self, and all the rest, and he didn't promise to give me everything my flesh wants, and thank God he doesn't. Because if he gave us everything our flesh wanted, it'd destroy all of us. That is not biblical. It appeals to the flesh. It appeals to human desires. It's just not biblical. And so what he's saying in this passage is, the reason God wants to grow us up is not only to give glory to himself, but to protect us from error. And I'm here to tell you there are lots of people out there who are trying to side attract the people of God. Now, that brings us to a third thing that I want to say and where I want to spend the rest of the time, and that is in this whole idea of the spiritual growth of the believer and how we, you and I can evaluate whether we're growing spiritually or not. Uh, I... Um, was sort of thinking about this in my own life and trying to evaluate my own spiritual growth because, you see, you can't just take it for granted. Because you're a Sunday school teacher and having to study your lesson every week and, and preparing a lesson and teaching it doesn't mean that you're growing spiritually. Well, just because I spend hours during the week uh, preparing for a message and come and preach uh, three times on Sunday, that doesn't mean I'm growing spiritually. It doesn't mean that at all. And so I began to ask myself, Lord, I want to check up on myself. How would I do it? And so as I began to think about in my own life, how do I measure my spiritual growth? How do I evaluate whether I'm growing or not? I came up with a series of things that work for me. Now, I want you to listen carefully so you'll not misunderstand me. I am not saying that my list is sufficient and adequate for everybody. I'm simply saying that this list is at least a start to help you evaluate your spiritual growth in light of what the Word of God says. There are many things I could add to this. So I want to ask you to get a pen or a pencil and a piece of paper and write them down. And I'm going to say them uh, very precisely so that... Oh, here we go. Here we go. How to test. How, we te how we're going to test our spiritual growth. It's going to be interesting. Is the test... This is interesting. Is it going to be law-based... Or is it going to be gospel-based? Now, if you listen to our series on proper understanding between law and gospel, this becomes very important. How, do you test your spiritual growth based off law or gospel? And how, what would be the difference in approaching it from those two different, completely different perspectives, law and gospel? That, that is an important part of this discussion. Let's see what he's going to do. Uh, there will be no commentary until the statement is made, and then I may comment on each one of them. But what we're talking about now is how do I evaluate my spiritual growth? We know that we're growing in our relationship uh, to Christ when we are becoming increasingly aware of our sinfulness and our weaknesses. When we are becoming increasingly aware of our sinfulness and our weaknesses. Okay, now th this... This one is, is good. I, I, do believe this is I do believe this is important. The more you grow spiritually, the closer, quote unquote, you get to God, the more aware you become of your own failure and your own weakness. This one I think is good, right? I don't think this one is law-based in any way, shape, or form. I think that this is just the, re this is the reality. The more, I mean, think about this. God is the standard, right? God is holy, he is absolutely holy. In a sense, the closer you get to him, the more that holiness reveals. The further you are away from God, you're away from the standard. You're away from his glory. You're away from his light. In a sense, you're standing in darkness so you don't see your sin and you can become spiritually arrogant and prideful and think that you've got it great. But when you're truly pursuing God and growing, I think then the closer you get, the 
more time in God's word, the more time you're studying, contemplating, meditating, guess what? Sooner or later, you're going to start going, man, I fall short here. I fall short here. I fall short here. Woe is me. Why do I do this? Why do I do this? How come I don't do the things I want to do? Why do I keep doing the things I don't want to do? And you are going to see your sin. I completely agree with this one. One of the key elements of spiritual growth is a painful awareness of one's own failure and sin. I would agree with this one. All right. This is not even really, this is simply God is the standard. And the closer you get to him, the more you're going to see how short you of you are of that standard. Right. I mean, it, it's, 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 it, we've talked about it so many times. I'll paraphrase Calvin, you know, John Calvin in the Institutes of the Christian Religion. I mean, he, he basically gave us this formula, right? When you truly see God as he is, then you see yourself as you truly are. When, until you see God as he truly is, when you see God as he is, then you'll see yourself as you are. You, you won't see yourself truly until you see God as he is. And how do you see God as he is? You're growing closer and closer. You're, you're learning, you're growing, you're meditating. The more you learn, the more you read, the more you study, the more you're like, man, I sin in thought, word, and deed. Now, how is that true? Well, if I'm growing in my personal relationship with him, what is happening is I'm becoming more discerning. That means I'm being able to see myself in a clearer way than I was beforehand. And one of the things that happens in the Christian life, and I used to think it was opposite, and as I read the biographies of men and women of God who've made a real difference in the kingdom of God, what I've discovered is that the older they get, not the better they think they are, not the more adequate they feel, but rather the more inadequate they feel and the more things they see in their life that they had not seen before. So growing in the spirit. I think two things happen. I think the closer you get to God, the more you see. The more you see him as he truly is, you see yourself as you really are. That, that, that's just a, a, a powerful formula and that, that was so profound when I was studying Calvin's Institutes that, that had a profound impact on my life. It was a profound statement. The closer I get to God, when I see him as he truly is, then I will see myself as I really, as I really am, as I really are. Then, 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 then that, that's just, that's revolutionary to your Christian life, right? As you see God as he truly is, you'll see yourself as you really are. That, that, I cannot stress how important that is. I cannot stress how important that is. But I think here's another thing. The longer you are a, a Christian, the more time you have been a Christian, if you're even remotely honest with yourself, if you're even halfway honest with yourself, you're going to see how far you fall short over and over. I don't think it's because we become more discerning. I think the closer we get to God, we get closer to the standard. So we're going to see how far we fall short of it. And the longer you're a Christian, the more you're going to realize, man, I keep messing up over and over and over and over and over and over and over. Finally, the reality of life hits you in the face. Spiritual life, we know we're growing when we become aware of our sinfulness more aware of our sinfulness, and when we become more aware of our weaknesses. That is, things that we think, well, I can handle that, and I can handle this. One of the signs of our spiritual growth is, God, I'm going to have to trust you. I'm totally relying upon you. That is not a sign of weakness. It's ultimately a sign of strength. But it is an awareness of our weaknesses and our inadequacies. So I want to encourage you to evaluate that one. Secondly, we are growing in our relationship with Christ when our response to sin is quick, and followed by genuine repentance. When our response to sin in our life is quick 
and it is followed by genuine repentance. You see, one of the evidences that I'm... This is an interesting one. Your response to sin is quick and it's followed by genuine repentance. I, 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 I don't know exactly how we quantify this one. I don't know exactly how we, how we measure this. Uh, I, in some ways, I guess I, I, I guess the reason, okay, here's my struggle. I guess this is what I'm trying to say. Look, we sin all the time. We sin again, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. We are sinning in some way, shape or form. So once again, this almost creates a, a, an, it almost creates a perspective of Christianity and understanding of Christianity that I think is lacking because it's like, okay, you're living your life. No sin, no sin, no sin. Boom. I messed up here. Okay. Wow. Okay. I'm going to respond quickly. I'm going to genuinely repent and then I won't commit that sin anymore. But that's not an accurate representation of Christianity. Christianity, you are sinning all the time around the clock in some way, shape, or form, internally, externally, in thought, word, and deed, by what you do, by what you leave undone, by in your desires, in your motivations. And Christianity seems to have a hard time processing that, that reality. We create a Christianity that seems to say, okay, so you're living your Christian life. Boom, you fall into sin. Oh, oh I feel bad. I, I genuinely repent. You get back up and you move on. Almost now as if you have no sin. But just because you repented of that sin, there's 9 million other sins. Did you repent of all of them? Did you change? Like, how do you, how do you process the fact that we are in sin all the time? I'm growing in my relationship to him is that my grief level is very low. And that is when I sin against God, immediately I'm smitten with conviction and I want to deal with it. I don't want to wait till tonight to deal with it or till tomorrow or the next week. You see, failing to deal with sin means I am resisting God at that moment or I may be rebelling against it. And so one of the evidences of our growth is we deal with sin quickly as soon as the Spirit of God convicts us. And secondly, it is followed by genuine repentance. I don't mean by, Lord, now you know we're not perfect. Everybody makes mistakes. God, I know I sin. No, genuine repentance. God, I genuinely repent of that. I turn away from that. I don't want that in my life, and I choose not to have that in my life. Genuine repentance means a turning about in my spirit, in my life, in my conduct that there will be a difference. So wouldn't it be great then? Just choose, just say, okay, Lord, I don't want any sin in my life. I choose to not do it anymore. It doesn't work. That, see, that it, this creates this mad, this broken picture of Christianity that I don't understand why it's so ingrained in our brains. It's almost like we can just say, nope, nope, that's it. Okay, I committed that sin, not going to do it again. Boom, it's gone. Well, then just do that to all sin. So after you've been saved for a little while, you should basically be sinless. It doesn't work that way. We continue to sin. Now, I do believe, I will go along with the first one, that spiritual growth leads to a greater awareness of your own failure and your own sin. Spiritual growth does not lead to a greater awareness of other people's sins. Spiritual growth will lead you to a greater awareness of your own sin. In fact, you'll see your sin before you see anyone else's. All right, and I think that this is it. I'll just go ahead and wrap this up. Just uh, we'll we'll just play a little bit of this out. You're listening to In Touch, the teaching ministry of Dr. Charles Stanley. Quick, genuine repentance over sin is one way for believers to know they're growing spiritually. 
We'll hear more benchmarks for testing our spiritual growth tomorrow. To listen again, there you go. And that's the end of it. So maybe we'll have to review the rest of them. So on the first one, I do agree. I, 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 I do believe spiritual growth is connected to an awareness of one's own failure and to awareness of one's own sin. I don't get the quick, you deal with it quick and genuine repentance because, I mean, I'm like, how does that work? You sin all the time. Now, I do believe that whenever you commit a quote unquote, a bigger sin, like, I don't even know what that means, but you commit a bigger sin that you, that's clear. Yes, I do believe you should deal with it quickly. I do believe there should be genuine repentance, that you change your mind in regards to it. You try to turn from it. But just for now, whatever supposed repentance you have, it's, it's, there's no guarantee you're not going to commit the same sin. All right, we'll have to stop there. I've asked lots of questions. I've asked lots of questions in regards to spiritual growth. I've asked uh, questions in regards to some of the things he's said. I've given you plenty of things to consider and to think about today. We started this to today's focus with looking at spiritual growth. We now added to that discussion. So much for you to consider. So much for you to think about. Let me know. Newsif at yahoo.com. Newsif at yahoo.com. That's newsif at yahoo.com. Can't wait to hear what your, your thoughts are on this entire subject. And of course, those in the Discord channel, let me know what you think. All right, we'll have to stop there. I, I'm, we're already in an hour and 12 minutes, so I want to keep going, but we'll do. Well, based on people's reaction, um, if, if people want to, we will review the, the second part of this message to see the rest of these benchmarks when it comes to, well, spiritual growth. All right, thanks for listening. God bless.